welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. Uh, tonight, we are going to be talking about the trappings of m- meta mentality. Uh, and tonight with us, we have on uh, Chris, Justin, and Jose. And uh, Brett will be on in about 10-ish minutes or so. Uh, and then we also have a very special guest. We have Brian from Big Top Gaming. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I do want to take just a quick second to say that in your show notes, you had just typoed my name to Brain. And it's it's funny because there's a fun story about this. For about two years, I worked for uh, Namco Entertainment. And uh, the all of our checks came from Japan. And for those two years, they had always misspelled my name as Brain. So every time I tried to cash my checks in the old days before... Uh, direct deposit existed. I had to always bring photo ID into the bank and explain to them the situation. They just did not want to try and cash my, my brain checks. That's funny you say that. Cause your name, when I spelt it originally, like came out all goofy and I'm like, what in the world? How did it come up with that? <laughs> and so then I changed it. I was like, and then I just didn't even think twice about it after changing it from like the completely messed up name it gave me. And then I was just like, Oh yeah, that looks right. <laughs> No, it's good. But yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And then, uh, so uh, just to give kind of a rundown of uh, you know our show for any new listeners out there, we talk about anything and everything. A song of ice and fire uh, by Simon. Um, every week we do a different topic. We do a show. Um, every single week, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time live. And then for those that uh, can't make the live show, we do have all of our shows recorded on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and, of course, the, sh- uh, the site that we do the show out of, which is Blog Talk Radio. And then you can also find our shows on the Song of Ice and Fire Guild.com. Uh, that is a site you can go to that has a bunch of different content creators uh, all in one place with a bunch of different types of content on there. So I definitely uh, suggest taking a look at that uh, site, which is very well done. Um, and then, of course, I would recommend you guys to go look at uh, Brian's uh, work over at Big Top Gaming. I believe you're on YouTube. Are you anywhere else? I do stuff on YouTube right now. I have a Facebook page that gets utilized every now and again, but it's a lot of like either just letting people know when videos come out if they're not uh, doing notifications on YouTube and then just like random things that I happen to be messing with. Nice. And then do you do uh, um, just ice and fire or do you kind of dabble in uh, other stuff? I'm, I'm definitely like a, a multifaceted war gamer. Uh, it's really easy to distract me with cool models and interesting rule sets. Uh, right now I do a lot of stuff with war machine from privateer press uh, I still have a bunch of Infinity stuff that I'm just waiting for their new rules edition to come out. Uh, I've dabbled with Conquest here and there. Um, and I can't even... I, I, there's a fun Kickstarter game called Limbo that I'm messing with too. There's just a bunch. I get into GW games every now and again, like Lord of the Rings or 40K every now and every once in a while, I think. But it's a it's a good time. I play a lot of different games, but uh, none are so near and dear to me like Ice and Fire. Nice. Yeah, and I would definitely agree. I play uh, 
Ice and Fire is definitely my main game, and I absolutely love it. But there are other games that I play. I think it's kind of healthy to get a mix of different games in. kind of gives you a different perspective on how different games uh, operate and the different, like, rule systems and just uh, just all around, you know, kind of dabble in a little bit of everything because you never know, you know, what's uh, what's around the corner as far as, like, new game systems coming out. So, uh, with that said, uh, I'm going to do a quick shout-out for, uh, I kind of already did, but a Song of Ice and Fire Guild.com. Definitely go check that out if you want to, you know, get uh, either podcasts, uh, you know, battle reports in, you know, video form or in, uh, in uh, written form and a bunch of other different types of content from a bunch of different creators. So, definitely go check that out. Uh, but... With that said, we're going to jump right into, uh, again, it's Trappings of Meta-Mentality. And I'll let uh, Brian kind of, for anyone listening that's not quite sure uh, about this topic, I'll let him jump in and kind of give the rundown. So on on a couple different levels, meta is a four-letter word, right? It's uh, this idea of a construct of how things are supposed to work within a certain game, certain tactics, Uh, certain list build strategies and uh, sometimes that meta just kind of warps and takes on its own life as this big construct that everyone kind of runs to in order to kind of determine how their gaming experience is going to be guided and I think that right now it's especially a little bit more dangerous because I think a lot of us are getting less and less games in or we're getting very not I don't want to say stagnant like it's a bad thing but we're getting a lot of the samey games in like if you've got a friend who lives close to you and you just play in your own little you know covid bubble then you're not really getting a whole lot of experience from other list perspectives or other even game mentalities so you kind of start creating your own meta but I think what's going on right now is that we kind of have this really large construct of the internet's idea of what the meta is. And uh, I think that when you start trying to proselytize the meta's opinion, then I think that kind of traps you into how you experience the game, uh, how you build your lists, and how you approach ideas that are running counter to the meta. We end up getting these, uh, getting these discussions going along where uh, X type of list build cannot function because the meta dictates. It's almost like you have this strange scripture kind of floating above your head of how the game is supposed to be played and it's supposed to be somehow unquestioned. And I think that's where people get trapped in their creativity and approach to kind of becoming a better player is they end up just adopting this scripture and have a really hard time kind of welcoming anything that goes outside of it yeah and that's definitely a great point i think uh one game system um that comes to mind i'm sure there's others but just from my experience one game system that i think has done a an amazing job of kind of showing how meta uh doesn't necessarily have to dictate uh whether or not something is good is warhammer 40k i can't tell you how many of like some of the best players on this earth usually come up with the most wonky of lists that if you try to replicate, you are usually never going to do very well with them. You know, they're not your usual cookie cutter, you know, spam, whatever type lists. They're usually very creative and out there lists. You're like, 
wait a minute, that unit is supposed to suck, and they're using it. Uh, one in particular, I know some some uh, listeners out there might not know much about 40K, but there is one unit that was considered really bad. Uh, uh, was it uh, Death Guard uh, Blight Lord Terminators? Um, and one guy took an entire tournament by running a max unit of them and just deep striking down or, you know, doing whatever he had to do and just pop and some of the, like the things out there that were considered, you know, nearly unbeatable unless you had X, Y, or Z. So I think, you know, just because the meta says it's great doesn't mean that other things aren't also great or that, uh, you know, you never know maybe something that isn't being played right now is the answer to uh, whatever is considered to be the best, but no one's running it because the meta says it's not good. Yeah. That's a, that's like a, you, you really illustrated a good point there about one of the other trappings of meta mentality is that people start thinking that the meta is then impenetrable. They feel like the game's kind of been solved. And if any game ever gets to that point where it's solved, the game's broken and it's not worth playing anymore. And that's really not the case, especially with a game like Ice and Fire. I mean, you brought up 40K and that game has so many different options available to it. I mean, the, the, the catalog isn't as large as some of the other games out there, but it's still got a pretty wide catalog. And to kind of say that the, the, the top performing lists are going to be the ones that will always be the best until something else comes out to kind of shift that is kind of like a failed logic of thinking. I think uh, from my War Machine perspective, uh, that game is in, it, it, the meta gets in a really interesting position. It ends up going through these cyclical natures of a community integrated des- development cycle comes in where the, uh, the community at large is kind of sampling playtest rules to kind of drive some of the new uh, releases that will be out in the future to kind of tune those rules in so there's nothing too broken or nothing too underperforming. And what ends up happening is people kind of think that when one of these big community integrated development cycles close and those models get released, that becomes the top thing to take down. And then it's kind of like this weird uh, rock, paper, scissors deal. And I don't think that's quite the case there either. I think that there's really no such thing as the meta just being this unconquerable juggernaut. There's always some way to punch it down. And I don't, I think that that's uh, definitely the case in ice and fire. And it's just, maybe there's some of these ideas that are kind of perpetuating uh, this closed minded perspective to how to build things and how to play the game. Yeah. And you know, it's it's definitely something that uh, I mean, hence the the name of the title, the trappings of meta mentality. I think it's something that we have to get out of that mindset, which is, you know, on the grand scale, it probably never will. But I think uh, on an individual level, you know, anyone listening, uh, just you know, try to get yourself out of that because definitely is it's pretty easy to do. You just, you got to start, you know, tinkering with things that you normally wouldn't tinker with and try to think of certain combos and just certain counters that uh, might not, uh, might not be uh, played at the moment. So on an individual level, I think it, uh, it could be quite easy. You just have to commit to the discovery of the different um, things out there. 
Um, but on a grand scale, I mean, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it, it, I think it's definitely going to be very hard for any um, large scale, uh, you know, of this to happen. Well, uh, and that's I think kind we of have. A, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I think we have Brits. Hey, Brit. Fashionably late, of course. Hey, guys. Sorry. I'm here. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> um, Brett, uh, were you listening uh, in, or do you need, like, uh, a recap? Uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to recap me. I'll just kind of get myself up to speed. No no worries. Okay. All right. So I think uh, one of the – one of the things that I want to kind of that I want to deal with right now before it be- becomes an issue is that I think that we pick on the meta a lot, the idea of the meta, and it's not to say that we would be picking on someone who's kind of aligning themselves with those thought patterns. The reason why the meta exists and why it's so prevalent is because it's kind of like a warm blanket that uh, is extremely comfortable. There's definitely a lot of people out there who play miniature war games and maybe they don't have the, the time or ability to invest the time uh, to play a bunch of games and figure out what's going to work best for like their local groups or maybe if they're playing in more of a, I guess, national or international meta, they, they aren't able to pick up on those things easily. So the, one of the things that makes the meta so uh, broadcasted is that uh it's it's already done for you like you don't have to wonder like how many ncus or how many combat units how many units of stark sworn sword should i actually put in my list because those blueprints are already out there for you to follow so you don't need to have that upfront investment of trying to figure out what works in a list you just get this this idea of the meta telling you this is the number you need this is what works and for a lot of reasons, those things do work in the situation that they're presented in, but it doesn't mean that they're the only way of thinking. And just because you might be running like a five, two split doesn't mean that it's uh, completely irrelevant to the game because it doesn't have the, the coveted five, three split. So I think that's something that I definitely, cause sometimes when I talk about the meta, I can get really like punchy towards it. And it's not to say that I'm, trying to put pigeonhole people who are embracing the meta it's more of just this idea that um the meta is something that that i feel exists to be perforated because it's not this unbreakable thing what do you think uh justin uh i mean i have to completely agree with i don't know basically everything that's said and i know a lot of us uh, speaking from experience uh like in our group we fall into that. I mean, a lot of our shows, we, we specifically talk about what's the meta and stuff. Uh, and when we look at units, we compare them to, say, like, tournament-appropriate units. So it's it's something that, uh, you know, complacency, we, we all fall into it without even knowing it, unless you, like, consciously talk about it or think about it often. Then uh, I think it's, it's really hard to avoid, um, unless you have people that you listen to or your group that actively talks about it to try to negate the fact that um, I think specifically though, Brett's pretty good at like, I know, no, I don't like boosting Brett here. So forgive me everybody, but uh, I talk to Brett a lot about stuff. Um, and it, it helps me a lot because I'll look at something and I'll just I'll automatically like say it sucks or something like that because of just like my mindset. But 
a lot of the discussions I've had with him have allowed me to step back and and look at it from different perspectives and try to change, uh, adapt to the change instead of reject the change to keep that warm blanket, as you said, Brian. So it's it's easy to fall into the trap, but it's also really rewarding when you when you break away. I think and friends really help with that. Yeah, if you've got a good play group that you can bounce ideas off of and definitely present some of these new units, I think uh, the the Night's Watch Rangers were a really were a really big one that was super contentious. Um, the Ranger Hunters, yeah, Ranger Hunters, that's the one. Um, those ones when they came out were just kind of lauded as as hot garbage, and I think if you speak to the right groups and the right players, you can kind of understand how maybe something like the the ranger hunters are something that the meta needs right now. Who do you think, uh, Jose? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I would again, like Justin, I would agree with everything you guys have said. Um, I do kind of want to point out that. Uh, in my opinion, I almost feel like there's, like, two metas, right? There's, like, the overall meta, so, like, the meta that you'd see on the internet, everyone's talking about it and stuff, and then I feel like there's going to always be a meta, like, in your group. So there's, like, two metas, and I, I feel that it's really easy to get trapped in the meta of your your immediate play group, right? So let's say, you, you know, you go to a shop and you have, you know, eight guys you normally play with, then I feel like it's easy to get caught up in that meta, um, and then I think just depending on how competitive a player you are in general will determine whether or not you really get involved with the, uh, like overall meta. Um, because sometimes even for me, for example, right? Like, so, you know, us, I think we're all pretty into this game and, and everything. And so obviously like, you know, I think we're aware of our own meta versus like the overall meta. And sometimes like, you know, I, I I mean, I'm not, like, super, super competitive. Like, I, I do, like, tournament, like, local tournaments and stuff, but I'm not, like, super, super competitive with the game. But I think sometimes for me, even just, like, let's just pretend the meta for, I don't know, let's just say Starks, let's just say it was, like, five great axes or something. Like, I, I in my head, I'm like, I don't even want to spend the money on five, five units of great axes, you know? So I think I think it really just depends on, like, like how, how um, – what your level of competitiveness is and then like where you're competing right so if you're doing a lot of major events like your what you consider meta would be different than like your your immediate group or whatever the case may be you know so i think that's something to kind of always think of um and then um yeah just just kind of like what how, where you're at with that you know um because like i said for me i mean I'm, a, I'm aware of metas but i mean i do i follow them all the time no i mean just because Sometimes I don't even want to put the investment into it, to be honest. Um, and I'm also more of like a like a thematic to be. So, but to me, that's more important than like per se a meta. But obviously, I think you know I'm, I'm aware of them all. So um, I, I don't know. I just it's kind of interesting. I feel like um, when you when you think about it, just the fact that there there is really, in my opinion, two two different metas. So. Yeah, that's a, a good yeah, point. And... There's like this huge proliferation of metas out there. It's not just the one meta. This is like the 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 meta that we're that I've kind of talked about a bunch is that internet like mind speak the hive mind of the meta. But there's yeah. you, the the interesting thing about that is like uh, if you're sitting there 
in your local group and you're just like, okay, well, I need to have an answer for free folk. Like I need to be able to beat an 11 activation list, or uh, I need to make sure that I can take down a full army of nothing but Baratheon Sentinels. And then you show up to your local game night with your pair and you're ready and raring to go. And you got like three Lannister players and two Night's Watch people there. Like the, the, <laughs> dealing with the, the major meta has serviced you in zero ways because you're failing to recognize that the just because the the greater proportion of players that are existing in this internet space are talking about these things doesn't necessarily mean that you need to concern yourself with them either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's important to note that yeah, the your local meta it might or might not adopt to the main meta going on, you know, uh everywhere, but uh or, you know, if it doesn't, then you kind of have to play almost two different ways if you're the type of person that's going to be playing a lot at your local and then also be going out to some major events. You know, if you're going to a major event, usually you're going to have to listen to the the main meta if, you know, you want to know what's kind of like in at the moment. Now, when I say listen to the meta, I'm not saying, you know, adapt to it or you know, that you have to follow it. But uh, it's always nice to kind of see what your odds and averages are going to be of what you might face. But that's, you know, that is kind of what we're talking about, that you're going to have to take that into consideration while kind of thinking outside the box, you know, just because they're playing one thing and the meta says that this is the, you know, something else is the answer doesn't mean that you have to use that answer. You can kind of take that into consideration that, Hey, that is one of the supposed answers based on the meta, but you know, you can kind of think outside the box on what else could be, you know, an answer for that. So, um, yeah, what do you think really, about really all quick, this so um, far? Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say really quick, something else I wanted to mention is that um, I know that a lot of times, too, that, like, someone who really, like, focuses on, you know, building around meta or or whatever, you know, something like that, when it fails them, like, they're usually the people that are the most frustrated, like, at tournaments. Like, they're, like, like upset that they didn't win or their plan didn't work out because, in theory, it should have or whatever, you know. So that's something else to, like – keep in mind too like you know so like dave said don't you know i I wouldn't i would recommend not to be like chasing metas i think it's important to be aware of them but you know because like it's like i think you guys have said it too like it's like you're going into the the game with like on your mind like a full like a foolproof plan and when it fails you it's like probably more frustrating than you know if you just did your own list and it just didn't work out or something you know so that's that's something that i you know keep in mind i guess too if you're like people who are considered like meta chasers or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, pairings can play a big part in, you know, screwing up your plans. You know, if you go die hard into like a meta and, you know, pairings can just kind of poop on you. Like I've had tournaments where I built one list that was super strong, had one weakness every single round I faced every single one of the lit there was only there was a four round tournament and uh, only uh four people entered in the tournament with my weakness and I faced all four of them all four rounds and I got obliterated. So 
it's one of those things that, you know, you can never fully, you know, uh, prepare for something like that. And so sometimes maybe just building what you're comfortable with is going to do you more favors in the long run than it will by trying to focus on what the meta says is the best. Uh, for example, um, my main list, uh, the meta says that Blackfish is one of the worst commanders out there, at least performance-wise. Well, I can tell you from my experience, and this is talk. I'm talking a lot of major events, whether it be Adepticon or just some very large locals of you know 20 to 30 people. That my Blackfish list has almost never lost, but that's because I'm comfortable with it. I know how it plays. I know it inside and out. And the meta might say that it's, it probably shouldn't perform uh, the way that it's performing. But, you know, play to what's comfortable to you because in the end, uh, that is going to give you more of an edge than uh, meta usually will. Uh, but, yeah, I was going to bring in Brett. Uh, what, uh, what have you thought of everything we've talked about so far? I think I've pretty much been able to bring myself up to speed on what we're talking about. Um, and my take on the situation is it, it might be the, like the, the common sense answer. Or maybe it, it sounds like a, a jerk of an answer, like a, a smart aleck answer, but that's not what I'm saying at all. I think, <laughs> I think that the meta, it doesn't matter that much. Like, I think you, I think the most important thing in this game is how balanced is your list and how well do you know this game and how well do you play this game? It doesn't matter if I have, you know, seven activations or eight activations and you have 11. If I know how to dissect your army and I out-deploy you and I know where to hit you and I know where to start, you know, pushing the dominoes down and, and starting the whole downward spiral, then, then I'm going to beat you. It doesn't matter that you brought the meta list. You can bring whatever you want. You still have to play the game, and you still have to beat the person that's across the table from you. And I think I, I think it it is a trap where people get caught into this mentality where it's like, well, I think this list would be good, but what if I play this? What if, if you do that to yourself when you're list building constantly? You're never going to be able to build a perfect list because no list is perfect. You're, you'll you'll lose at points, but what you can do is build a list that 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 are things that you like that you know you've tried before and you work. And, and they work for you, and you just you hone some things. Maybe you swap an NCU out here or an NCU out there. You try this attachment, or you, you mix the commander up. But I, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to how you play. And um, I think always a good counter to whatever somebody's bringing is, is going to be defense. And, I mean, I don't care what you what, how much offense you have across from me. If you can't break through my line – if you can't kill my units, you you can't beat me. Um, and that that was the premise for my Night's Watch list, and I had obviously a lot of success with it. It was built around three plus defensive saves and a whole bunch of healing. And it, it seems like it's like, well, that's the obvious answer. But I just don't see a whole lot of people running builds like that. And when I was running around with Starks in that energy event, it was like, well, if I run up against a, a brick wall of three plus defense, I'm probably pretty screwed because you know, there's only so much you can do to get into the flank. And, and if you bounce, then you're stuck. And you know what I mean? So that's, that's how it always works. So I just always feel like you can either 
you can either play into the meta or you can you can be the person that breaks the meta. At some point, some player out here has created this list and, and designed this so-called meta. So you just be yourself and maybe you'll be the person that redefines the meta. Yeah, there's definitely some 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 value in that. There's uh it it's a, it's like the I'd say 70% of the game exists on the table and then maybe 30% of it's in list building. And this is coming from the a two list pairing situation because I think things change a lot when you don't have a pairing to work with. Um list chicken is something that I've always really enjoyed the idea of even though I think that it's not something that people really get a kick out of when it happens. But uh, And maybe it's harder to do in Ice and Fire than it is in other games. But uh, I think that that's the ratio that I like for the, the build-to-play uh, strategies. But for, uh, I think, the, the meta mentality is that the list-building strategy is so rigid that it almost feels like the meta views it as 60% in the list-building process and 40% what you do with it. But for sure, it's, 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 it's how you utilize your lists and how you play the game. Yeah, and the one thing you can't really count on, uh, as I sort of mentioned before, is who you're going to be paired against. Uh, you know, you can kind of say, okay, well, there's probably going to be this percentage of this faction and this faction and this faction, so my percentages are this, that I would face this this many times, and so on. But... Uh, in my opinion, the only things you can really count on are your list, your averages of what you're going to be doing, uh, how you play, how well you know your list in the game, as Brett was mentioning, and then also uh, other things that are usually sort of set, uh, which would be things like uh, terrain and missions, those things are things you can more reliably count on and factor into your list and your list building. Um, uh, you know, we mentioned before that, you know, you keep in mind the meta, definitely. You want to keep it kind of in the back of your mind as you know, a factor, but you don't want it to kind of rule your building and curb your creativity. Uh, what do you think, Chris? And you've been kind of, sitting there patiently waiting to maybe dunk on some Lannisters. So you all know me. I'm a big competitive meta guy. <laughs> but, you know, I think kind of like what we've talked about, I think it's important to know the meta. So it's kind of, you know, what you're expecting. Like, pro tip, the indie tournament I'm not running three NCUs, even though that's like the big hoop to do. Like I know going into this, there's going to be a lot of, you know, 10, 11 activation Stark lists. There's going to be, you know, your harm of free folk lists, but I'm kind of making my list kind of how I want. And, you know, we're kind of going to see what happens with it. Yeah. So I wanted to, you know, oh, go ahead, Dave. No, you go ahead. Okay, well, I wanted to, to touch on what Brian had said about um, – hold on, hold on, I just lost it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come back. Um, crap. <laughs> nope, I lost it. 
Damn it. percentages. Brian, re- reiterate everything you just said in this whole entire show. <laughs> no, you it's just not give them hot phrases like the 70-30, part, part building, part playing. Oh, that's. Thank you. Boom. <laughs> See? <laughs> Keywords. It works like that. Uh, so I think that's really, really important um, because I've been playing war games for, I don't know, give or take like five years. Not Not super long compared to a lot of people who have been playing since like childhood and stuff. And I know... Like, as I got more experience playing them and became, it's, it's a stupid phrase, but became like a more veteran, more experienced player, I really got away from the idea of, like, games being, uh, like, when I first started, I was really frustrated that people would just bring these powerful lists and win with those powerful lists. But as I've gotten better and more experienced, I've gotten away from that uh, it's not like a naive idea, but it, it's like an inexperienced idea. While there's a lot of power to be said in list building, the game is not decided by that in any way, shape, or form in basically any war game I've ever played. I mean, you have the extremes of like, you know, a ridiculously broken and powerful unit, but um, through and through, it's it's definitely on the battlefield, on the table, that uh, that the game's going to be decided and how you play up against your opponent. So I think that's it's really important as if any of you are like newer gamers to to realize that that's that's a spot for growth and i know i can speak from experience in that yeah and ice and fire brings in a lot of new to the the hobby war gamers right i think uh, i don't think i don't believe there's a single game that i've played maybe 40k is a little bit different because it's so evergreen but i think ice and fire has a, this huge population of people who are coming to the game who are playing war games for their first time ever so they end up seeing things like the meta as more of an arms race instead of a puzzle that they need to unlock and of course it it always is difficult to get those kind of thought patterns when you're a new player anyways but i really do like that the idea that people need to look at the game more as a puzzle instead of as a solved math equation right like it's not one plus one equals uh five combat units and three ncus yeah, and, you know, some of those things can help you, you know, in some ways, you know, maybe do better a little bit. But, I don't know, sometimes they can hurt you, uh, especially with the creativity. If you're not – if you're just going to build something based on what other people have told you, uh, based on stats and just the meta, then, you know, it could curb, you know, a potentially – a list that you could have potentially made that would be so much better because um, I know when I was first starting to play, a lot of people were telling me, you know, Rob Stark and uh, Eddard were like the go-to commanders for Starks, but I fell into Blackfish, and, you know, I've never looked back, uh, and I'm glad that I didn't, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, turn a blind eye to Blackfish and just jump on to the Rob and Eddard train, because uh, I think... You know, though those commanders are great, I don't think I would nearly have done uh, anywhere near as uh, good as I have with Blackfish. And that can be said about uh, a bunch of different commanders for a bunch of different factions. Um, I don't. I believe that no commander in this game is truly that bad that you could never win a game with them. I think they all have their strengths, and some strengths are just more obvious. Uh, whereas others are something that you kind of have to toy around with and be creative. But if you don't give it the time of day to discover activity with the combos and list building, then, you know, you're never going to discover it 
you're going to have to wait for the meta to discover it, which might or might not happen. Um, and the, you know, the, the meta is ever evolving, which is nice. Uh, but, um, it doesn't evolve as fast as it should. If people, if more people were thinking outside the box, especially right um, now, since there aren't so many games being played in the wild. Yep. And I think, uh, was it uh, a song of ice and fire stats.com. If you guys have not visited it already, uh, definitely go check that site out. It's an amazing tool. Uh, but then again, like I was saying, it's, it's a tool. It's something that you use, uh, to kind of keep in the back of your mind to help you, but definitely don't look at any stats and think it's, uh, unchangeable that it's, that it's law, that it can't change or that you can't change it. Cause you never know the meta could just be from only X percentage of people that are really creating that meta and the rest of the people just kind of follow that meta. Um, I think if everyone were to be creative and kind of input their own uh, meta, I think things would shape up much different uh, than they have currently. Uh, so definitely, you know, keep that in mind. But yeah, definitely go check out songoficefirestats.com for some uh, awesome uh, information on there. But, uh, but yeah, what, uh, what would you say to all this, Brett? Anything else that you wanted to add on to there? No, I don't. I don't think there's really too terribly much to add. Um, I definitely think that uh, as far as the games out in the wild, I, I think a lot of the the perception of of now everybody's talking about this crazy meta thing. I think a lot of that does have to do with the Song of Ice and Fire stats and the fact that kind of all of the metas are colliding. But to be honest, just because the like the 10 activation start thing is working right now. That doesn't mean that it's unbeatable and it doesn't mean that it's like, that's what you have to do. And that's what you have to build around again. Like I said, I had a very, very nice run with night's watch. And as far as tournaments go, I never lost a single tournament game to start with night's watch. And I played many triple dire wolf, you know, what it may have been. There's always a solution to getting through those things. So just whatever's going on, you know, you might have to, you might have to think around it. You might have to do something a little bit differently. Maybe you got to do a few YOLO charges that you're not comfortable with, but there's always a way to beat every list, no matter what it is. So that's YOLO is always the answer. Hey, I, the YOLO charge, it, it can always be the answer. Sometimes you do that stuff and it catches people off guard and like they were comfortable at five inches away and now you're in their grill and they just don't even know how to react to that. So, that you is know, the thing with the control style gamers. They they are banking on you not making that charge, and if you do, you might screw their entire plan up for the next two rounds. It's funny that Chris says YOLO charges are the way, because every other person he plays against, he just does whatever. When I played against him last, he didn't make a like didn't even try to charge me with like four inch charges, and I was playing Baratheon, so I needed fives and sixes, and I tried every single unit and made two of my charges, and I was proud. So he didn't YOLO charge me at all, and that's all I did. So way to go, Chris. Hey, I was actually trying to, like, use cards and stuff that game, <laughs> and I didn't use my normal jank shenanigan stuff. So Instead, I, I traded spots with you. I We really did. <laughs> and just as a side note, every time you guys say out in the wild, all I think about is Pokemon. So I want to thank you guys for that. 
the random Jamie Lannister player rustling in the grass. <laughs> oh no, while Jamie has appeared. <laughs> no, I think that that's a, to... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I just I I don't have many soapboxes in life, but I think that the the data abuse is definitely one of the soapboxes that I like to get on. And I do really appreciate everything that A Song of Ice and Fire stats does for the community. It definitely gives people an interesting look at the breakdown of how things are working in certain events. But I do caution people to try and not take data as gospel again like i feel like this some sometimes this the, this data that comes out of ice and fire stats kind of gets put into that scripture in the meta bubble above our heads and data only really is good at telling you what happened in those very specific situations they're not always applicable to every situation that you come across so just because that top three is shaking out to be like no night's watch up there and that the lannisters are so far down on the on the totem pole doesn't mean that that's the the truth it just means for the data that has been fed into this machine this is what's kicking out of it it doesn't take into account things that happen outside of it so i think uh data just you want to exercise caution when trying to apply it to the generality of life, right? And especially the life of the game, uh, because that's just not the way how it ends up working. So just because the three NCU lists end up beating the two NCU lists more regularly, doesn't really say a whole lot about what happens across the entirety of a song of ice and fire. It means for these 80 or so people that played these, you know, 60 or so games, uh, that's what happened in this very specific situation. And it's kind of hard to separate your extrapolation or application of these ideas to every game you play because it is really convenient, but it's definitely something you want to try and separate yourself from. These stats are important, but they aren't gospel. <clears throat> yeah, no, for sure. I, I, and something else I, I wanted to point out too, to like kind of piggyback off of what you just said, that it's not gospel is that, uh, two, two things, right? So one, I mean, you gotta remember that war games are also a dice game, right? So you may, you may think you have this awesome setup and list and whatever, and just the dice are not in your favor that day. That's something else to keep in mind. Um, and two, the other thing is that, um, this game, it, it changes a lot, right? So, uh, they constantly do updates they constantly release new things. And so, I mean, meta is always changing. I mean, I remember, for example, like Varys was like a staple for a while, and and I feel like uh, pretty pretty across the board, I guess. Like he was a, he was a staple, and then they changed him to five points, and everybody like dropped him real quick. And they went back to four, and they changed him a little bit, and now he's kind of, I guess, meta wise, he's kind of like uh, in the middle somewhere, you know. And so it, my point is, is that like things, the meta is always changing with this game. Um, and then it, it is a dice game too. So, I mean, and, and it's funny that it's funny when you think about it, that metas are, and I, I don't think there's a way that it could not be this, but metas are always about list building, right? So, and, and I think, well, I think like you guys said, it's 30% your list and 70% how you play on the, on the field. And it's always funny to me that there's never like a meta for the actual gameplay. It's always list, right? Which is interesting. Cause I, I, I do agree that I think 70% of you know how well you do determines how is how you're playing, and there's never there's never like a meta for like how to play, which I always think is kind of interesting. Probably probably for the best, but I just think it's interesting though. 
I'll, I'll say that there's there was always the and I don't know how prevalent this is anymore just because I haven't been paying attention to a lot of the uh, large te- like televised in quotes tournament games. But like the terrain meta was so frustratingly boring for such a long time. It was like the line down the middle of corpse piles fertilizing the weirwood trees and just in a repeating pattern, like the worst Argyle sweater vest you'd ever seen. And that that's the only time I can think of there actually being a terrain meta. Yeah, I love the random terrain rules that came out. I think that's like one of the healthiest things that happened for this game. Absolutely. Yeah, the only thing I think I would tweak on the random terrain is uh, mixing around the, the destructible pieces a little more with the with the other pieces, just because I find that with the random, even though I still like it better than it was before, I end up with so many destructible pieces, like hedge, hedge, wall, barricade. <laughs> so maybe swapping like the forest and the... Um, uh, hedge and then like the the stone wall and the bog or something you know still leave the weirwood and the corpse pile at the at the ends uh but then it'll I think it'll mix up the pieces a bit more but yeah i definitely agree it's uh it's hard to have like an actual meta with you know terrain like how to you know account for it it's just one of those you're gonna have to play it on the fly based on what you get rolled if you're you know assuming you're tournaments or your casual games are doing uh, random terrain. But, uh, one point I wanted to bring up, uh, Jose kind of touched on it. Um, me and Brian were talking about was uh, how in with the meta, it's hard to um, base it. uh it's hard to take it uh, as you're saying, like gospel, especially when you know it only reflects, uh, like uh, I think your words were, it reflects like a capture at a particular moment in time. Yeah, it's so like a picture. I think, yeah, and so you know you got to factor that you know, man, three NCU lists doing amazing. All right, one point six drops. Does that? still apply? Does it still count? Do we have to start fresh? Uh, Because you never know that, uh, you know, things might change. For example, um, what if 3NCUs wasn't really that good? Or I wouldn't say, like, they weren't bad, but let's just say it was 50-50. Let's argue that that 3NCUs was 50-50 with 2NCUs back when NCUs, well, once that change happened, do we start fresh? Do we have to? Do we have to take that into consideration? That, you know, on a grand scale, you never know. That might have made a bigger impact than than we would ever maybe know. Um, so it's definitely one of those things that, you know, every little change you do to the game could drastically change uh, the way things are going to work. Even things that you might not think it would affect. You know, you might think. That uh, an NCU not being able to activate or being able to activate now, uh, even without a spot, you know, you'd think, oh, well, that could only affect NCUs because it's referring to NCUs. Well, I I would argue that it trickles down to every aspect in the game and that it completely changes a lot of the so-and-so meta or stats of the entire game and how it operates. 
Yeah, I think one of the one of the ways to kind of apply that in a in a current time space is I think that as soon as the champions of the stag come out, I feel like those really wide large activation lists are going to really tank hard because they'll just bounce off of those things because the thing that happens when you bring all of these wide activations is that you end up not being able to concentrate a lot of the points into armor breaking units and watching people like a, a free folk list bouncing off of two two plus save units is going to be just miserable they will not be able to make that work for themselves and i think that's just a really good um real life example of how the meta could shift so much in just uh in, with just one release even not even just a, a, a rules update or anything and you know what could happen with that is maybe they pull one of the three ncus off and start turning their units into armor breaking units it, there's infinite possibilities that could happen with things like this and the the meta is like metas are polaroids so you you gotta gotta take them for what they are you know it's that that uh that frosted tip spiked haircut you had in high school might have looked really sweet when it was when it was around, but uh, nowadays probably not going to cut the butter. It's definitely mullets nowadays. Oh, both are still cool. I don't think they ever went out of style in Wisconsin, to tell you the truth. <laughs> That's because it's great, duh. <laughs> Extra five points uh, if you bring one to the to the tournament. It's a challenge, Chris. Which one, the frosted tip or the mullet? Both. I will do my darnest to, in two weeks to grow my hair into a mullet. Start mainly. Maybe it'll just be a wig. Either way, I'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely one of the things that you have to. You know, there's a lot of factors that you might not think about when it comes to meta. Because I think when just when you talk about meta in passing, uh, kind of as you were mentioning, uh, Brian, that you know it's kind of like that four-letter word. You know, it kind of is that. You know, you just you say meta, and then you kind of dabble in a little bit of okay, meta says three NCs, meta says this many combat units, and meta says this, and then you go well, why? Why does it say that? And, um, you know, you start asking more questions about it. And you dig, if you dig deeper, you, you'll understand that um, there's a lot more to it, a lot more factors that, you know, that aren't factored. You know, there's, there's things that people don't put into consideration that might skew the numbers uh, that presented and you just never know. Uh, that's not to say that we shouldn't have those numbers. You know, it's it's nice to have the stats and to kind of see where things are at. But uh, I think the important thing is just knowing that those stats could be wrong if we were to apply it to every game ever played uh, for every casual, every tournament. Um, you know, who knows? If, if somehow we were able to just gather every single game ever played, uh, Starks, could probably be the worst, you know, or free folk could be uh, worst or second worst or whatever. You just, you never know. So you kind of have to take, take both of it, you know, both uh, samples or both into consideration, the stats being shown and the possibilities and, you know, trying to think outside the box that, uh, you know, 
just because the meta says so doesn't mean that, you know, other things can't uh, exist or be true. And I think uh, one of the things that I like to do when, uh, when, when someone presents a list that is kind of counter or against the grain of what the, the meta dictates, I just, and, and someone brings up that, well, there needs to be three NCUs or there's not enough activations. I just kind of like imagine them putting their like two fingers up in the air saying like the meta dictates that you are wrong. <laughs> it's just, that's the, that's kind of the absurdity of it to me. And you are right. There's the meta is volatile. It will, it will change all the time. So there is no real one way of doing things, but I think, one of the things that we might not have touched on so far is the idea of poking holes into the meta. Like I think I might've mentioned earlier that the the meta isn't like this impenetrable object. There's always something that exists out there that can kind of crumble the idea or the, the meta mentality that everyone's kind of got going on these, these list build strategies. And I think Brett made a, the, the night's watch list he had talked about really kind of runs up against that, that those large activation lists have hard times breaking tough units so uh if you're really building with like all my lists have to have you know at least eight activations total and three of them need to be on that tactics board as soon as you come up against some of these really like tough three plus hard to shift lists then uh you're kind of losing losing out because the meta has failed you because someone has kind of called your bluff and is playing things that you probably weren't completely prepared for but uh, the meta wasn't preparing you for it because it didn't decide to take that into consideration that someone might be like gunning for your pair. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, anti-meta or, you know, going against the grain can really screw up the meta because uh, the meta usually accounts for, you know, other meta things. So if you're going to be running things that aren't really meta or let's say, for example, especially because even though uh, there's so much uh, info put into stats, into a Song of Ice Fire stats and, you know, just our personal uh, experiences, you never know. Like, let's say, for example, uh, everyone says that uh, Joffrey is the worst, uh, one of the worst commanders out there. But let's say only one or two people are both playing Joffrey and they're both amazing players. Let's say they're just, they're really amazing players. And those two players are the only ones um, really giving their input on, on that commander. But you know, that commander could be really tough to play. So, I mean, the stats may show that yes, he is winning a lot, but they, the stats won't tell you that, hey, but he's really hard to play. He has a high learning curve because, uh, you know, the stats are usually just numbers. Um, and so other people might pick him up once, try him, and be like, man, he really sucks, and then never play him again. So then you have uh, a rise in Joffrey stats based on two amazing players while no one else is really playing him, making him seem like he's, uh, you know, being played everywhere. Because obviously you see, man, Joffrey's like the best commander out there, at least performance-wise. Everyone must be using him, right? Well, no, not necessarily. 
you know, only a couple people could be, you know, and I'm just kind of nitpicking, like, you know, things that could happen. I'm not saying this is going to be true in every case, and I'm not even saying it's true in a lot of cases. I'm just saying there's going to be outliers in stats that are going to deceive you because numbers, you know, don't lie, but they don't necessarily tell you the whole truth. Um, You know, they're going to tell you, you know, how, excuse me, they're going to tell you how well something is doing, but they're not going to tell you how they came to that number. So, uh, or it's more so how, how well was it doing in this particular situation? Like that's one of those data dangers, like you had described an outlier with Joffrey, but then saying that the numbers don't lie. Well, they don't. I mean, they, they specifically say this is what happened right here, but there's no quality tat attached to that data set it's a like right now ice and fire stats is very quantitative data in that it pulls in a bunch of numbers and tries to give you statistics that way and that stuff's really valuable but it's kind of not gonna direct you in the greatest of places without that qualitative data attached to it where we would be talking about things like uh having someone watch the 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 top eight or something like that and describe exactly here's where things stacked up and where they were going good for one player and bad for another. And those are the kind of things that you would need to kind of get the full picture of why something like Joffrey was just like making bank in that tournament. Um, So quantitative data is kind of like a, it's a, I guess they're both kind of like, you can't have, it's hard to have one without the other, but it's easier to have one without the other. You know what I'm saying? Like battle reports, like the ones that um, happen online, like through uh, um, uh, myself or uh, Vanguard games, as an example, like they, we go through that qualitative data of here's this game. Now let's explain exactly what happened with it or when things fell apart or when things took off in a certain direction. Whereas like going through like that NRG tournament that was massive that's all qualitative or quantitative data where you're not really getting those descriptions of the story behind the numbers that you're describing. Let me, uh, let me yeah, ask I you agree. guys, let me ask you guys a question here. Go ahead. Has there, um, just cause I know we've been talking about like, you know, you don't have to use the meta and, and, and this and that. So has there ever been a time where you have used something that would be not considered meta or played against something that would not be considered meta and were like really surprised at the outcome? Um, I would say maybe just my main list having Blackfish, only having two NCUs and two like actual combat units. I mean, I had two wolves, so it was still eight activations. But a lot of people will see the fact that I only have four actual units and two. And a lot of times when you see that, you'll think, oh, three three NCUs, but I only had two NCUs and th- uh, four uh, actual infantry units, no cav, uh, and so they they just assume that oh man you know I'm gonna you know I'm outnumbering them I not only have three NCUs to take tear them up on the uh, tactics board but I have five combat units so I'm gonna outnumber them you know but it's it's one of those things that I try to jump on one unit and demolish it before we even really start playing the game you know in like turn two and then that kind of evens out there but. Um, I'd say like tournaments, no, uh, not for me. What about you guys? 
I think uh, for myself, I kind of got two examples, and one of them is a little, a little sketchy, and one of them isn't direct, but someone else can confirm it here for me. Um, the first one was when I went to Wakanda for the first time. I think it's the only time I actually went to Wakanda, to be honest with you, to play in one of your events. Um, I am very much not... Uh, like, if you had to put factions of ones that I like, Lannister's way at the bottom, and not for any performance reason. I just am not oh, a Lannister person. So... Um, <laughs> one of the things that I did is I was like, Oh, well, I'm just going to bring a Lannister list to this Wakanda event. Cause it might be fun to just like kind of shake it up and do something different. And I think to give people a, a time of reference for this with releases, it was right when uh, Stark's heroes one and, Oh no, it was heroes two. It was the heroes two box for Starks and uh, uh, Lannisters were just on the cusp of being released. I think you were able to get them at Adepticon at that time, but um, I ended up bringing out of the Lannister list that I was going to play, it was like I brought Roose Bolton leading a list with like the mountain that rides in a unit of flayed men. And then the other list was just uh, the mountain himself running with like two mountains men and three units of halberdiers. And I feel like those were quite counter to the, the meta at the time where it was like all it was Tyrion, the half man and, uh, a little bit of high sparrow here and there. I had no faith in my lists whatsoever, not actual faith, but like the faith mechanic. And uh, that I didn't do too bad with it. I had a pretty good time. I think the the game that I lost that put me into the two and two bracket was a really, really big nail biter. And uh, I think that was going counter to the meta at that time where it was, people were rocking a lot of night's watch. So it was easy to just kind of bulldoze through them uh, with the mountain list because the night's watch were not really good at taking big hits all at once. They wanted to exist over time with uh, this was like back when night, when uh, Jon Snow was the big deal. And it was like a bunch of sworn brothers with Amon healing you up. And it was just crazy, but that was kind of how those lists were kind of pointed. And I feel like it did pretty decent. The other one is definitely more recent. Uh, we had a, the last event for Wisconsin before pandemic stuff happened was in, uh, I think it was Brookfield, maybe, maybe Brook, Brookfield. Um, but uh, it was actually a game between one of our players uh, um, and, uh, and David. It was the, the Stark game that you had played in maybe the final. Oh, yeah. So uh, uh, the thing so, about yeah. that. The thing about Zach as a player is that he's he's extremely talented war gamer. Like he just he he when he was playing War Machine, he was at the top of peak performance. Like he'd definitely placed in some major international events, and then just kind of made the the turnover to uh, Ice and Fire. And the list that he was playing, and this was you know extremely recent, prior to maybe Baratheon's Heroes one and two, but his list for Starks was just like a bunch of onesies of a, of a bunch of stuff. Like I think you played against his Rob Stark list that maybe had, it almost looked like it was about one of every unit. Really. It had Cranigman and it had a one unit of Tully Cavaliers, Sworn brothers. And uh, like, it just looked like this hodgepodge thing, but he played it really well. And the, the thing that was nice about having all these different units when we're used to seeing like, uh, a spam of units is that he always had tools that could get him out of certain situations if he just applied them right. I think, uh, David, your list was something like four or five Baratheon ward, or no, it was three wardens and two sentinels. It was like this really tough, hard to break list, and it seemed like uh, you had. One, well, the one I, the, the one I played him, uh, I used my Renly list. It was five wardens, uh, four uh, Stormcrow lieutenants, and then Renly, and then I ran. Uh, um, NCU's was Alistair, Little 
Peter and Shira, because between Peter and Alistair, I can guarantee the money bag five rounds to proc the. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, I well, think I, I was used watching, the, that other list. When I was watching you. that game, it was very much more back and forth than I think someone would have thought if they heard those were the two matchups, like this Stark list that just sounds like some kind of newbie just kind of showed up to the event and just luck stacked into the final round at the top table. And this really finely tuned Baratheon list that had a lot of the same things going on in it, which is just this three plus save and a lot of good sundering shots. But there was definitely a huge back and forth, and I think that game was almost on like a razor's edge for a little while. And that is probably the best example I can think of of somebody playing counter to the meta with something so out there, but still performed really well. Yeah, that uh, that game was definitely a lot closer than I thought it would be. And um, I'm not going to lie, what you're saying is, you know, I'm guilty of when I saw it, especially because I didn't know him. Um, you know, I had the thought of, okay, maybe he's not as experienced because uh, it looks like he's almost running like a starter set with uh, some other extra stuff added in um, almost. So, you know, and that can kind of throw, you know, some people off. I know I've been guilty of it, you know, a couple times. You know, I don't treat them any differently, but it's, you know, in my head I think, okay, you know, I kind of let my guard down a little bit sometimes uh, when I see something like that. And, you know, running hodgepodge of things, you know, that goes back to when I was talking about 40K. Some of the best players in 40K, they they run what literally looks like a hodgepodge of stuff, whereas you you look at most meta, like 40K or anything really, and a lot of it's, uh, you know, copy and paste kind of like uh, my list, you know, the five wardens. Granted, this is when all we had was the starter uh, to really choose from um, and no hero boxes. But uh, I guess, you know, thinking about it, I guess uh, one other thing I've used that not like Meadow really wouldn't say would be the lieutenants and the wardens, and just that's only because of that combo. But, yeah, I think uh, I think you'd be surprised, you know, if you just think outside the box and kind of run uh, – you know, different things. Like you're saying, a hodgepodge of stuff. As long as you know your army and you know what role everything's supposed to have and even go through the motions of, okay, if I lose this unit first, how is the rest of my units going to compensate? And then go through, you know, let's say, okay, if my Kranigmans die first, whatever, what's everyone else going to do? If the Tullys die first, what is, you know, and so on. And just kind of you know, get yourself, or, and if you can, actually get the games in and get the practice with certain lists. Uh, and that's how my Blackfish list evolved. You know, it used to look quite a bit different than it uh, currently does, but uh, early on I played it over and over and over, you know, on our ca- for our casual games. This is before, like, any major tournaments had started up. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, kind of thinking out the – outside the box in that regard will you'd be a lot of people out there you'll be surprised with what you'll be able to come up with what do you think uh brett well i guess the the most prime example of an anti-meta list um was the list that i took to gen con uh this was right after star heroes 2 dropped so three wolf was a thing. Uh, it was a six activation, uh, two NCU Tyrion Lannister list, and 
the list definitely wouldn't perform today like it did then. This was back when Slade Men had a two-plus defensive save, but it just kind of goes more into that whole, you know, you've got this really defensive unit that can really put a stop to some of some of the things that they're they're looking for with these hyper offensive units but i found more often than not that that defense wins out against offense but anyway it was uh Tyrion in a unit of guardsmen Flademan, uh mountainsmen with uh gregor uh, lord tywin's mad dog uh, a unit of knights of castle rock tywin and Varys. so there is quite a bit of control in that list but I mean that's another thing that can swing, swing a game is if they're banking on this one unit to get them, to get them the kill that they need to kind of start that domino effect again. If you've got a way to, to shut that off or you've got a way to shut that down and you can stop their big play, a lot of times that's what it takes to to win that game and make their list fold is stopping their, their they're built around one big play, and if you know that that big play is coming and and you know that they've set up for it, and if you have a way to stop it, there's more than one way to stop it, then a lot of times you completely unravel their whole plan. And I think Tywin was and still is amazing for just that. Uh, I know we have Walter Frey, and Walter Frey is hugely popular, but at at some point or another, Walter Frey has to be on the tactics board to do what he does. Tywin, on the other hand, does not. And at any point in time, at the beginning of any turn, he can he can shut the ability down, uh, the ability of the unit, the ability of the attachment, and give them all three tokens. But I think that's a a huge reason why I was able to win all of the games that I did. But I actually played Stark all four rounds, and I think if if an outsider looking in would have looked at those lists like, oh, he's playing uh, Adard Honor Guard and Berserkers and Berserkers and Berserkers, he's never going to get through them with his Lannister list. And then it was just the same thing. It was uh, high morale, you know, great axes. Uh, and then the final round was Howland, you know, activation spam. And it's like, how's this guy going to get through it with um, six total activations and four combat units? But uh, that was, I mean, that's the best example I can think of of, of an anti-metalist. I didn't necessarily believe in myself going into that, but <laughs> it was what I came up with from, you know, testing this and trying out that and, I was like, you know, at the end of the day, Blademan work better uh, than Pycel NCU in a seven-point combat unit. I'm going to run it, and we're going to see what happens. And it worked out. But that just goes to show just how you would be surprised just how much uh, one really solid anvil in your list can just screw up everything that they want to do, particularly when it's an anvil unit that, that's mobile. You can get in their face. You can throw – that played if they're relying on berserkers with brain and hodor a very popular combo if you throw your really defensive unit in their face and engage them that's not where they want to be they don't want to be fighting you in the front on your terms they want things on their terms so it's just a really good way to counter that and slave men are still okay at doing that agree that's all i, I have think, to say about uh, that <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think we have, um, I think one of the mentalities is that you have to have so many uh, activations. And in our last show, we were talking about, uh, you know, how many uh, NCUs to run, how many units to run. And uh, though, though that might be like averages and what 
uh, we're comfortable with and what the meta might dictate, you know, that's not to say that, you know, if you have a really a list with six or six activations, like uh, Brett was saying, four combat units, two NCUs, if you feel comfortable with it, if you uh, have played it a bunch and it has done well for you, just because the meta says that that list should do bad does not mean that it can't do amazing. I mean, Brett, I believe you went uh, completely undefeated and took first place uh, at Gen Con with that list, right? Uh, yep, all four rounds. Well, wasn't there more? I thought there was a second day or something. No, sorry. I lost, actually, the the day that there was a qualifier, and I actually lost to a Nightwatch list. And as a result of that, I was I was running, like, uh, two Knights of Castle Rock, I think, but I was running, like, seven activations with Tyrion, and I just got the crap beat out of me by Sworn Brothers. And uh, I was like, you know what? I might run into this again. I was like, if I would have had, like, when I was rolling my defensive saves, it was like a bunch of threes. So I was like, maybe I need to squeeze Flademan into this list somehow. And I just ended up rearranging the list and squeezing the Flademan in. So I lost a day at the qualifier. But, yeah, I won the four rounds the day of the final event. And like I said, it was Starks the entire way. As a matter of point, for that entire event, I went uh, 6-0 and oh against Stark, and I went 6-1 and one altogether, lost only to Night's Watch. But somehow I played Stark every single every single game but one for both days. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, um, that's just the thing. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, they, they build their list with the outline of that it has to be you know, five combat units and three NCUs or, you know, the four and three or the five and two, uh, you know, those three outlines are like the main outlines that everyone tries to adhere to. But, you know, you never know that, you know, the six activation, heck, even maybe five activation lists, though the stats may say that you have a severe disadvantage, uh, that disadvantage might just be applying, you know, that it's really just applying on a broad sense that, you know, it, on average people running that many activations will probably do, you know, as bad as the stats are saying it's going to, but on an individual level on, if we're talking about you, the listener, or just, the, you know, the average Joe out there, it really comes down to an individual thought of how well do you know your list? How comfortable are you with it? And, you know, how well you can make those, what you have uh, work together and really, you know, over the course of the game, even the odds, so to speak, and really turn into your favor, you know, how you play and uh, just being strategic and, uh, you know, goes a long way to helping the list really shine. Yeah, at least they're like spaghetti. You just like throw them up against the wall and see if they stick. Like there's really, you shouldn't ever like discount a list at the list building process. At least like throw it out there and see what happens with it. And usually you'll surprise yourself. Either the list is terrible or it's a really good. What do you think about all that, Justin? Sorry, I'm shoving food in my face, so now's not a good time. 
Well, <laughs> now is a perfect time. <laughs> uh, What's the question? I'm uh, sorry. You. I can I can kind of answer. <laughs> but what like what specifically do you want me to answer? Uh, just like um, uh, just kind of how we're talking about you know the 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 thought of um. Like list building, like when you build it, like yeah, list building, like anti-meta, or just sure. what's expected of you um, to build as far as like outlines and whatnot. I guess I kind of that's where like I think we fall into the trap a lot. Um, like for instance, for me, like I try new things occasionally, but I, I stick to to really specific stuff. Like right now, I'm kind of sticking to um, Boltons, but I've always kind of just played Boltons anyways. I'm not over. I'm not like the biggest fan of Stormcrows and Mummers. Um, maybe that'll change. Uh, but uh, like for me, I, I always, um, I don't know, lately I guess I've fallen into that 3 NCU meta. So I always build lists with 3 NCUs now because it really helps me. Uh, and then I kind of stick to like Cutthroats and Bastard Girls. And it's it's far and few between that it seems that I adventure out and try other things. Although I guess last couple of games I went back to Flayedman and Blackguard to test them out. Well, and it's definitely not not to say that like that three NCU mentality is a bad one because there's definitely certain lists that will uh, build themselves better towards that type of style. I think free folk are definitely ones that really enjoy it because they don't have to sacrifice a whole lot in order to get units on the table in order to take those three NCUs. Plus, it really helps them make dictate what you want to do because you're kind of sinking activations into things, kind of how like. Starks will do with their dire wolves being able to sync activations in those NCUs and the wolves together. So you can kind of dictate the momentum of the game. So it's not to say that there's like the meta is always flawed and wrong. It's just that the meta is, it's not a, it's not an answer or a solution. It's not always, okay, well, I'm building this really aggressive attrition based list. That means I have to have three NCUs. That's not exactly what you need to have. It's just, uh, if the if the lists building stratagem kind of works towards that, then go for it. It's I'm definitely not trying to get at that. The the idea of three NCUs and five combat units is the wrong answer. It's just not the 100% always right one. Oh sure, and I'm definitely not yeah. uh, pointing fingers at that or nothing. Um, and I guess I've never necessarily like. I think the three NCU thing is like the only thing that I've recently started building to, but like personally for me, I do like uh, the, the biggest reason I play neutrals for instance, is like the exact opposite of the meta. I like playing something that's not popular a lot, which uh, has turned out to be somewhat negative. Cause uh, I, I love the Brathians lore wise. That's my favorite house by far, but I really don't want to play them cause everyone wants to play them. And it really drives me nuts. Cause I love the way they look and I love the way they play, but I don't <laughs> like falling into that, that very common, group which is fine if you do and you stick to it or whatever plus i've played neutral since the beginning and i've gotten particularly well i don't want to say it but i will i think i've gotten particularly good with bastard girls it's kind of like my key unit and i always build i think almost every single list i've ever made for neutrals has at least one i made one of four ones that didn't actually work out and it won <laughs> no okay i made, did it twice first time i beat dave second time i lost to lucas <laughs> 
Well, and there's there's definitely a lot to say about becoming a faction specialist that can go counter to the meta as well. Like if you're someone who is really well practiced with a unit like Bastards Girls or uh, the Ranger Hunters from Night's Watch, those are definitely units that have a lot of variability in how they function on the table. And if somebody's not really keeping them in their mind while they're kind of stuck in this meta cloud bubble, then they're they're going to get rolled by them every time they see them because someone like yourself who's played them game after game after game understands how to utilize these things and find those pressure points in some of those more popularized list build styles that you can apply them in the right way to just make them crumble. And I can tell you that definitely happens with Bastard Drills. Uh, but it never happens twice usually against people, which is kind of the problem. Uh, you run into the issue where people... After the first time when you just wrecked two units back-to-back on their turn because of cruel <laughs> methods, uh, they're like, oh, never letting that happen again. You're like, well, there goes that trick. Goodbye. Yep, fool me once. <laughs> or uh, just, you know, taking the the mail before a neutral player can take it. You know, letting them take it all game. That's what I tell everyone like, I play I'm who's not going to do that again. <laughs> That's what I tell everyone. So every time I play a new player, I tell them after the game, I'm going to tell them the easiest way to be in a neutral faction. And then, uh, like Sean, for instance, he was on he one of the Iowa guys who came on our show. Uh, he I I more or less thrashed him in the tournament, uh, but then we played another tournament. And after the first game, I told him just like try to prioritize taking the mail for me, and you will hamstring a lot of neutral stuff. Uh, and then he absolutely whooped me with Starks at the Iowa tournament. He destroyed me. It was really sad. I, I cried a little. <laughs> So, uh, is there anything uh, you wanted to add, uh, Jose? Uh, No, I mean, to answer my own question, I I was going to say that uh, I feel that Justin really goes outside of the meta just from the faction he plays as a whole. Um, I know neutrals aren't really, like a strictly neutral army is not super common, you know, especially in a tournament setting or even, honestly, even casual play. So, you know, I definitely uh, applaud you for that, Justin. And I think you are a specialist in that army because every time me and you play, man, we always have, like, super close games. I mean, like, you know, nine times out of ten, the games we play are, like, always, like, neck and neck. We have two unit, two models left at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's always like super close. So I mean, I, I definitely um, think that just playing that faction as a whole is uh, probably something I've been um, like shocked by, and also like glad to see that you know like you're doing well with them. You know what I mean? Uh, well's relative. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh... Brian, was there uh, anything uh, else that kind of came to mind that we haven't really touched on yet? No, I think the only thing that I really want to reiterate or hit home is that a lot of the ways that I talk about the meta or data utilization in A Song of Ice and Fire sounds really aggressive and weaponized, but I want to just really say that uh, I don't feel like anyone who utilizes these mindsets is somehow doing something completely wrong or that they're just a poor player for thinking this way or taking these things into account. I just think that 
the stagnation of the creativity that comes with really adopting a meta or some really rigid statistics it can kind of do you a disservice as a player. So I just, I don't want to make a bunch of enemies out there of, of the big top gaming name. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. Uh, uh, you know, everything that we've said tonight, we're, we're giving it as like an option or we're, we're trying to tell you to take this and really use it as a tool, use it as a way to better yourself because uh, that information is invaluable, you know, because it, it's not like it just because it's not every game to ever exist that it doesn't mean anything. It definitely still takes into account that, you know, that these things exist. Uh, we're just trying to say that don't take it as like that it can't not be that way, that, you know, or that we've been saying all night, you know, that it's like gospel, gospel, that, you know, the stats could be different or they couldn't be, you know, the stats that we see could be completely accurate 100% if we were to take it on the entire sample size of the entire community, or it could be completely uh, opposite of that. So with that said, you want to, you want to take both into consideration. You want to take into consideration the stats and what they say, but also what uh, could be a possibility, you know, things that, uh, that the stats might not account for that you can possibly use to your advantage. Because if you are, uh, which most of us are, you know, in the trappings of the meta mentality, to some extent at least, I know I am, uh, you know, use that to your advantage. Uh, if people are being trapped in a certain mentality uh, or a large group of people and you can exploit it by thinking outside the box and finding an answer that, no one else really has yet, then, you know, by all means do it. And, you know, you could probably shape the meta yourself with some, um, with some new ideas of your own that might not be out there that might not be, you know, if someone's solely taking meta in the stats uh, to heart without really thinking outside the box, they might not ever encounter some of the new creativity and, you know, it starts, you know, with you, with, you know, us on an individual level, just trying to think outside the box and come up with new things to kind of ever evolve the meta. Because, you know, you definitely don't want a stagnant meta. You want it to be ever changing. And Simon, uh, you know, just changing things up, I think, kind of does it on its own. But when uh, whenever there aren't any changes within the game itself, uh, it's up to the players to kind of, mold the mentality uh, in substitute for any rule changes or updates to the system. So it's definitely uh, something that we need to keep in mind. Yeah. These, these two opposing ideas of the, the meta and our like anti meta like delivery here, they're almost like they have this symbiotic relationship where one can't exist without the other. So as it's not to say that you need to wipe away the meta because then the ideas we're bringing to the table, they don't really have a place anymore because there's no such thing as meta. It's just the wild west. Sometimes those silver bullet snowflake lists that you theory craft on the toilet are the, the tomorrow's next. <laughs> meta. There's a lot of this like ebb and flow and back and forth. It's really like interesting and beautiful process when you think about it, not to sound too hippie, but like, 
watching some list that becomes total trash that just wrecks people left and right because they're bringing X list. Like uh, if you think back to the ye old Shelky days, right. Of, of, uh, of a song of ice and fire when like that quadruple flayed men dumpster fire was happening. And then it was just like, as soon as somebody even whispered, I'm going to take two units of pyromancers and poop all over your army, then it was gone. And then it kind of went into this back and forth, like roll of just, really cool turmoil that happens and i think that's where the game really needs to be because if one side of it gets too potent like kind of what i think is happening right now with this like three ncu super big wide activation list mentality that's when i think things kind of get a little bit worrisome and there just needs to be more of this counter strategy coming out there yeah i definitely remember those days you know uh flayed men were considered so powerful in, you know, the meta that you you had to take them. You had to take at least one of them to not only counter other people's flayed men and so on, or the more you took. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about, getting stuck in that mentality that that's the only way to really prop, uh, properly play, like, competitively or to win uh, when there's so many amazing combos and uh, tools out there to kind of get through that kind of makes me laugh because i remember when the first when the game first dropped i had like one cutthroat four bastards girls and four flayed men so i got a really bad rep for a couple months because i, I pretty much only could use like flayed men <laughs> and then the bastards people did not like me they talked a lot of smack yeah it was hard because at that time when the game first dropped it was hard finding cutthroats like they weren't uh they weren't easy to get a hold of yeah, when I find I didn't get my third unit of cutthroats until like I think Heroes Box Two dropped for Starks and 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 uh, Lannisters. Like it took me that long to get a third one. It, it's the one thing that kept me from playing solo neutrals throughout the whole existence of that first part of the game. Yeah, same. I I didn't get uh, you know I was around the same time as uh, Justin when I finally started getting enough neutrals that I felt, uh, um, or, you know, it was around the same time as Justin getting his, uh, three or four cutthroats that I finally got about the same amount. And that's when I finally felt comfortable to start playing them as a faction. Cause I just, they didn't have like enough options. So it was kind of pigeonholed you into certain lists almost every single time. But uh, was there anything else, uh, Brian, you wanted to add before we uh, wrap up? No, I think I'm good. I think I've hit about everything I wanted to in terms of uh, dealing with this Mindspace meta world. Um, and it's it's it was a blast. Everyone was a, a, a fun time. I think uh, I've interacted with most all of you in, in the real world, except for Brett, maybe. But uh, I look forward to getting a game with you sometime in the future as well. Yeah, um, as soon as... Uh... Was it, uh, I think, starting next month, we're going to start up our tournaments again uh, Second uh, every second Saturday of the month. So definitely keep an eye out for those. But uh, with that, I want to give some uh, shout-outs. Uh, so I'm going to definitely shout them out again because I don't want it to seem like we're trying to trash on them. Uh, <laughs> Song of Ice and Fire Stats.com, amazing site. Definitely go and utilize the site has so much valuable information on there. You know, it it's just amazing what uh, what they've been able to accomplish. 
So definitely check that out. The, when you go and check out the site, uh, you don't have to, but I definitely suggest creating a login. And then every time you play a game, you can submit your game uh, with the person that you played against. And then the person you played against can verify it. And then uh, you can keep track of your own personal uh, progress on how well you're, you've been doing in all your games and, you know, just kind of add to the, the ever-growing stats and how things are kind of, you know, you know, evolving in the, in the meta. So definitely go check that site out. Uh, I highly recommend it. They are a member of a song of So if you haven't checked out that site, you can go there to not only find us among a bunch of other content creators. So definitely go check both of those out. And then for those uh, that, uh, you know, are still listening out there, definitely go check out Brian's uh, YouTube channel which is uh, big top gaming um, lots and lots of awesome content on there as well uh, and then you could visit his Facebook group um, uh, is that just called big top gaming as well yep I, I got to swipe that one too awesome yeah so definitely check all those out uh, all amazing uh, uh, places to find content um, you know, for those uh, out there, I'm going to probably do another uh, giveaway uh, on our Facebook page, uh, some form or another. The last one we did was like a meme contest. So we'll think of something to post on there as a giveaway. But uh, I, t- I bring that up because uh, definitely go on our Facebook group and follow us, share out our page. Um, you know, following us both on the Facebook group and on the Blog Talk Radio site will help uh, help us. And, you know, sharing it out will definitely do uh, a lot to help us grow. There's something like, I think, 8,000 people on the main page, and we're at about, like, 650 followers. So definitely, uh, you know, sharing it out will definitely help us because there's definitely a lot of people out there that uh, – that aren't following us or in a good chunk of people that don't even know we exist. So if you want to help us in any way, definitely consider sharing out our page and just, you know, in your, you know, your circles, your own uh, groups of players, you know, maybe just know about us. We're uh, on every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, and you can find us uh, on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Blog Talk Radio, and as well as songofisefireguild.com. Thank you to all my hosts that uh, were able to make it on tonight. I really appreciate uh, you guys being able to um, come on every single week, which is way more than I ever expected of you guys. And thank you so much uh, to Brian. Thank you so much that you, uh, you were able to come on tonight. And um, this topic was actually Brian's uh, um, idea, which was an amazing topic that I had not thought of. So thank you for that. No, well, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Yep, and I apologize for misspelling your name to Brain. <laughs> uh, let, let me let me talk about one of my many many oddball stories from from the Namco days. That was that is fun. Well, even after you said I misspelled it, I looked at it and I'm like, what is he talking about? It says Brian. And I was like, wait a second. It's <laughs> a screwy one. I tell you, I'll get there. I think so, there, there's a, yeah. a, a newspaper article that I have framed in my game room that uh, talks about the evolution of the human brain, but the newspaper had mis- mistyped it to Brian. So I was like, this is where I need, to, I'm, this needs to be my game room forever. Nice. <laughs> 
But yes, thank you so much for coming on. I apologize for that small little uh, error, oh, you're, you're super good. <laughs> even though it. <laughs> um, and again, thank you to my hosts, uh, um, Chris, Justin, Brett, and Jose. Uh, but with that, uh, this is the small council, and it is dismissed.